Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is The Art of Less Doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Less Doing Podcast. This is episode 201. We're over the cusp of 200 at least. Uh, today's interview is with Max Moore. And Max will freeze your body and your head for all of eternity. No, he's not the Iceman. He runs Alcor. He's the president of Alcor, which is a company that will cryopreserve you. So if you are facing a terminal illness or you just think you've gotten old enough, you can freeze your entire body or just your head and wait until something comes around that can make it so when you unfreeze yourself, you're back to your normal self or even better than before. Really cool stuff. It's actually a very, very philosophical conversation in many ways that Max and I have. And Max and I met at the Biohacker Summit in Helsinki, which I think is appropriate. And it was an awesome interview. So I know you guys are going to like it. Uh, so a few things. One, uh, I mentioned the 7 Second Diet app on the last podcast, and I've been using it and I love it. I have to say it's it's a really fascinating thing because food tracking is one of those things that is really a pain in the butt. Even Chris Dancy, who is the world's most connected man, the most quantified man who's been on the podcast, said that that was one of the biggest uh, things that he, he had some solutions for it. But it still requires, for the most part, that you have to identify what the food is or the calories or the ingredients or whatever it might be, take a picture, whatever it is. This seven-second diet app makes it so simple. All it asks you to say is if the meal is good, bad, or in the middle. If you exercise that day, you say you did. If you drink a glass of water, you tap a button. If you drink an alcoholic beverage, you tap a button. And obviously the idea is that you want to be eating more good than bad, exercising, drinking water, and not drinking too much alcohol. And it's great. It takes literally seconds. It's pretty accurate about the seven second diet to track things. And what I found interesting for me so far is in all the tracking I've done, which is obviously a lot, I've never tracked water intake. And in the last few days, what I've been tracking is I'm having like two or three glasses of water per day, which is nothing. That's very, very little water. So I must be in like in a constant state of dehydration. And I'm trying to counteract that, but it's actually not that easy for me, I guess, to drink that much more water. So uh, it, it's it's interesting. It's really interesting. And I'm, I'm trying to, to sort of systematically approach it and see what changes might happen if I hydrate better. But obviously hydration is important. Now, I'm not saying you have to have eight glasses a day like you've probably heard all your life because there's no real scientific basis for that necessarily. But yeah, one or two or three glasses a day is probably not enough water for a, a being where two thirds of our body is water. Uh, so anyway, check it out. Seven second diet. It's awesome. You know, the other thing is that I am reading The Martian. I'm almost done with it and I love it. It's such an enjoyable read. I'm not saying it's like the best written book ever, but it is really enjoyable. I'm really liking it. And coincidentally, NASA has opened the application process for new astronauts. So if any of you are looking to become an astronaut or we're always dreaming of doing it, you can now apply up until February 18th of this year. And some of those people that apply and are picked to be astronauts will indeed go to Mars, which is just freaky and amazing and awesome. And uh, not necessarily that you could be that productive, but if you had several hundred days isolated from 
the majority of society, you might be able to get some things done. So there you go. Go apply for NASA if you're if you're interested. There's an app called HeartWatch, which takes the data captured by your Apple Watch on your heart rate and actually does something usable with it. Because I have to say, I was very disappointed when I got my Apple Watch at how little information the heart rate app would give you. So this will actually, first of all, it divides it up into categories so it can tell you your heart rate when you're sleeping or when you're working out or just regular. And it'll give you just, it looks like a ton of data. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this because it's going to take something that you're already wearing on your wrist that has the tracking capabilities and will give you more valid information. Uh, it would be nice if it could give you HRV, but uh, I, I, that's not in the cards yet. Uh, and I, I would like to see that. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, that's heart rate variability. There's an article over at Retraction Watch, which is a website that points out scientific papers and studies that have had retractions in them. And a retraction, I, I mean, honestly, a retraction can mean a number of different things, but typically if a paper is retracted, it is not considered to be valid anymore. And the the top, so this is the top 10 cited retracted papers. So it's the most cited of all the papers that have been retracted, basically. Um, and the number one was cited 1,023 times. It's called visfatin, a protein secreted by visceral fat that mimics the effects of insulin. So all the, the, the studies themselves are not necessarily that interesting uh, to general population. Honestly, they're not even that interesting to me. But what's interesting particularly is that all of these papers, or most of these papers rather, got hundreds of citations after they were retracted. So basically there were a couple hundred citations beforehand. People were like, oh, this, you know, this groundbreaking study. It's the kind of things that you would see in the newspaper and the New York Times or in the Post where it'd say, new study says that, you know, broccoli will kill you. But what's amazing is that these studies were retracted and then people continued to cite them hundreds of times after that. So it just means that you really, really need to get into the research when you look at something that says in the papers, new study. And, I, you know, not everyone, including myself, can read a scientific paper and necessarily interpret and know what's going on. But a lot of times you can. You can at least read the abstract and you can find out if it's still valid, uh, if there's other studies that were corroborated, if it's something that's really important to you. If you're going to make a change to your life based on that information, take a few minutes and check out the actual study itself. Because the scientific community and the, the media community, of course, doesn't necessarily put accuracy first with this stuff, obviously. Or attention to the detail, for that matter. Um, okay, and now there's a new uh, service called Hire Peter, or just Peter. And Peter is your artificial intelligence-based business lawyer. This is a really interesting approach. There's all these services that we see now that are, you know, the new UI is no UI or user interface. And there's a lot of services you can do by text. There are a lot of services you can do by email. Uh, and a lot of them are scheduling bots, for example, or in artificial intelligence. This is a lawyer artificial intelligence service. So all you do is CC him in your email. You can request signatures, generate contracts, and even notarize documents. So you can have a document and you email a bunch of people that they need to sign it. And you CC Peter and you say, you know, so-and-so, everyone needs to sign this, basically. And... He'll, he'll get it done. He'll get it all signed. If you want to have a contract done, you can actually email Peter and say, could you please you know, generate a NDA for so-and-so who's copied in this email with this information? And they'll ask you the questions they need to ask you, and they will write up the NDA. This is really cool. And I, I, I mean, we're trying this out right now. And it's impressive. Um, it'll also remember information. So you can actually email it and say, hey, what's my you know, employer identification number? 
and Peter will tell you. So Peter, your artificial intelligence based lawyer, check it out. And then the last one is uh, from my favorite website, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And this is an article about how to manage your time according to science. And there's a number of things in here. They go into deep work by Cal Newport. But basically the way this sums up is that you shouldn't schedule distractions. You should schedule deep work. So you're basically telling you're saying block hours for what really matters, not just for anything with a designated start time, which is great. And I think that makes a lot of sense. It also goes hand in hand with peak time where you want to block off your peak time, that hour and a half per day when you are at your peak and you're two to 100 times more effective than any other time of the day. Incidentally, if you want to find your peak time, you can check out the less doing peak time app, which has you tap on the screen and it measures the responsiveness of your nervous system and estimates your peak time. Uh, They also say that you should stop saying yes if you want to get things done. So that's an obvious one to learn how to say no. But the one that I like the best is have a deep work ritual. You say whatever gets you ready to crank. Hiding in a conference room and throwing your phone into abyss is a good one. Uh, For me personally, I like to just put on a really loud (laughs) Pandora pop radio station and get a, a big glass of ice water, essentially. That's basically my rhythm to get into my deep work and also doing that during my peak time. So that's all I've got for today. I hope everybody enjoys the interview with Max Moore, and we will see you next time for episode 203, where I interview Floyd Marinescu, who is a virtual and remote team expert. Until then, have a great day and a very productive week. The Less Doing Podcast pulls together the top experts in the industry to help you optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life so you can start doing the things you really want to do again. What would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble or would you thrive? When I was sick with Crohn's disease, I was faced with that reality because there were days when I literally couldn't eke out more than an hour of work a day. And I had to figure out ways to not only get everything done, but get more done than I was doing before. And that is how Less Doing was born. Less Doing is about you. It's the easiest way to learn and implement a huge amount of productivity tips into your life in a short amount of time. Whether you're a crazy busy business owner, a tired executive in a large company, or a stressed out soccer mom, we've brought it all together for you to help you overcome the overwhelm in your life. For the latest how-tos and actual tips on becoming more productive, sign up for my newsletter over at lessdoing.com. But I want to offer you all something more. As listeners of this podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to get on the phone with one of my Less Doing certified coaches. I've trained each one of them myself, and they really know what they're doing. The first call is completely free, and you will get some real advice and tips on how you can be more productive in your life and get back to making things easier again. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the interview. So now I'm speaking with Max Moore, who is the president and CEO of Alcor Life Extension Foundation. So uh, Max, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. You're very welcome. So let's tell everybody what Alcor does. Well, Alcor essentially provides cryonics for people who have no other choice. Essentially, this cryonics is really an extension of emergency medicine. What you really want to do is not die in the first place, for those of us who like living, <laughs> to take preventive care and exercise and eat well and so on. But sometimes that doesn't work, and then you have to get regular medical treatment. Sometimes that doesn't work, and you have to get some critical care or even engage in uh, some new treatment that's not really been tested. And then if all fails, uh, your body's going to quit on you at some point, and that's when we come along and 
instead of just burying you in the ground to be digested by worms and bacteria, we say, let us take over, let's stabilize this patient, let's protect the cells, and then bring them down to super cold temperatures, at which point there is no metabolic activity whatsoever. And at that point, we can really wait until as many decades as it takes to whatever, whatever killed you, find a cure for that, find a cure for the aging process, and hopefully repair and revive you and bring you back in a healthy young body to live an indefinite lifespan. So, I mean, obviously, that's a very big concept and pretty amazing that, that, I mean, it's the stuff of science fiction, but it, 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 I mean, I've spent some time with you, obviously, and and heard more of the background and and how this works. And it it actually seems very reasonable. But so the first question I have is, how did you guys come up with the process for the preservation, seeing as, you know, we don't really know how to unpreserve, like how to unfreeze someone right now, right? So how do you know that this is the right process? Yeah, that's a good question. There's really two main parts to the cryonics procedure. The first part, which we can do right now, is to do our best to respond as quickly as possible, to protect the patient's cells, and to reserve them as well as possible. The second part, we cannot do today. We cannot reverse that process in any kind of complex organism. Now, of course, we can cryopreserve corneas, heart valves, skin, eggs, sperm, all kinds of different tissues, and we can rewarm them and reuse them. And we're on the limits of being able to do that with whole organs. But we cannot reverse that process with a whole organism right now, except for a very simple one, like the C. elegans microscopic worm, uh, which we have actually successfully reversed and even shown that its memories are preserved. But that, of course, doesn't mean that cryonics is pointless. That just means we have to wait for more advanced technologies to come along that can do cellular repair. So, and and this is not a leap of faith, by the way, because I'm very much a rationalist myself. Uh, I don't just take this on faith. Uh, We actually have evidence that, at least under reasonable conditions, we are preserving the brain structures that, so far as we can tell in modern science, preserve your memory and your personality. So for one thing, we do CT scans of many of our patients, and we can actually see how well we've done uh, or how not well we've done, depending on on the delays and whether they have a stroke and various other conditions. Um, We can also do electron microscope studies of animal brain tissue using the same procedures. And by the way, these are are procedures that have been developed precisely to store organs for reversible organ cryopreservation. And so we're using the very best uh, solutions which we license for this process. Those electron microscope studies show that membranes are intact because what we do essentially is remove the blood and body fluids and replace them with a cryoprotectant solution. Cryoprotectant, you can think of as a kind of a medical grade antifreeze. And that actually prevents any ice crystal formation. Um, Not that ice crystals destroy cells, contrary to what some people like Michio Kaku would have you believe, that's actually not true, but they certainly do a lot of damage. So we try to eliminate that kind of damage completely. So the brain should be in pretty good condition, and the electromicroscope study suggests that is the case. It's not just the synaptic connections that are intact, but uh, the neuronal bodies themselves. So it's really just a matter of, of waiting until we have the technology that can repair those cells on an individual level, which certainly will be decades from now. Yeah, and 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 so then that's that's the other side of it for me is well, first of all, I, I actually even though we talked about this a bunch, I, I still had it in my head that this was people basically avoiding disease. I wasn't thinking about it as people avoiding aging in some ways, you know. So some people might just be they might be ready to die of old age, but this is one way to stop that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, aging. It's not necessarily. Like a, it's not necessarily like a cancer or something that they have to f- wait for a cure. It's really more. I mean, it's even farther thinking when you're waiting for a solution to aging. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's inevitable. We'll have a cure for aging. It's just a matter of how long it'll take. I'm a little disappointed. You know, twenty years ago, when I was in my uh, thirty years ago, when I was in my early twenties, I thought by now we have made much larger strides towards extending the maximum human lifespan. But unfortunately, almost zero funding has gone into that. 
Now that's beginning to change. You know, the Sense Foundation, uh, Google's Calico, a number of other approaches suggest that maybe we'll start making some real progress on this. But just think, I like to think of it as being in 1960, when, uh, you know, if you say, could we land a man on the moon within 10 years? Everybody said, no, that's ridiculous. Even the Royal Astronomer of England said that was ridiculous. And yet 10 years later, we've done exactly that because we've really focused on it. So, you know, this is a more complex problem. Uh, so I have no idea how long it will take. Um, but now I'm a little bit pessimistic at my age of you know, 51 that even if I live really healthily, I may not make it to a time when we can reverse the aging process. So I may need to be cryopreserved. I hope not because I don't like the idea, but it certainly beats the alternative. Well, and and you don't like the idea because you prefer that we found that solution beforehand, basically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be uh, stuck in the tank of liquid nitrogen. That's not being unable to control my destiny is not really appealing to me. It's a lot better than being dead, <laughs> but right. I'd rather not die in the first place if at all possible. Yeah. Okay. So now you have two. This is another one that was a really big, big sort of interesting thing for me. Was you, you have two different ways that people can do this, right? They can do an entire body, or they can do just their head, right? That's and, right. And originally when I, when you told me that I was like, why would somebody just do their head? But now after having talked to you, I, my feeling is more like, why would you do your whole body? Exactly. The other rationale is, and I, this is the choice I've made myself and our members, you know, decide whether they want to do whole body or just the brain. Um, I say just the brain, we actually do the head because it's a lot easier to keep the brain in the skull. It's actually quite hard to remove it without damaging it. And it also provides natural protection. So, uh, but what we're really interested in is the brain and the idea is that if you want to survive and you want to come back, then what's really critical? Well, it's your memories, it's your personality, it's your values, it's your goals, your experience. All that stuff is encoded in the brain. Um, and some people say, well, what about peripheral nerves? Man, could there be something important there? Well, I don't think so, unless maybe you're a concert pianist or something like that. Uh, and we know that because there are people actually who are essentially decapitated in their own bodies today who are para paraplegic. And there's really nothing, no communication going on there with the nerves, but they don't lose any personality. They just can't do certain things anymore. So the idea is any kind of technology that could reverse the aging process and repair you know, billions of neurons, that, by contrast, it'd be pretty easy to regenerate a body, whether it's cloning it or just regrowing it, learning how to change the, the coding in our DNA. Because uh, we're already starting to grow organs and parts of bodies today. So that's not so far off. So I, I think you know, by the time we can repair a brain uh, and reverse the aging process, the rest of the body that'll be relatively trivial by comparison. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I'm totally on board with that now. Uh, although I, one thing I, you know, you said the peripheral nerves, but what about also the, like the gut brain connection, for example, and now they're talking about how the heart is even the third brain with, uh, with neurotransmitters that they're finding in the, those locations, you know, does that, how does that play into it? Well, yeah, that's certainly going to affect things like your mood. Um, and you know, probably the clarity memories, thinking right, and those kinds of things. But we know that those, those change over our lifetime considerably anyway, and sometimes we destroy a lot of them when we take antibiotics, and yet right. our personality doesn't disappear. So that's presumably not critical, and we can uh, we can regrow those. Um, and you know, probably decades from now, we'll have a much better understanding of the biome and what kind of biome to, you know, to give you as a starter kit when you come back, if you like. Right? Yeah, have the perfect have the perfect biome. You won't have you won't have a peanut allergy when you come back from cryo cryopreservation. Right. In fact, you know, I would imagine that when they bring you back. Either, either before they fully revive you or right after, they're going to offer you a lot of choices. Like, do you want us to correct some of your problems? Like, we know you have short-sightedness. Should we fix that for you? You have chronic back problems because of the structure of your spine. Should we fix that? You have a gene that tends to give you a tendency towards depression or anxiety. Would you like us to tweak that? And yeah, definitely. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you may, may come back actually better than you were at your best.
Right. Well, I mean, why come, you know, why stop the aging process if you're going to come back at the same point? You obviously want to have an improvement over that, of course. Right. But so then that that begs an even farther question, further question, which it's not so much a philosophical question, I don't think. But and I think I asked you this when we when we were in person together. But at that point, then why even have a brain? You know, if we why can't we just download all of our thoughts onto a thumb drive, for example? You know, and and I know that that's getting out there, but we're also talking about freezing people for possibly hundreds of years. So. Well, now you're talking crazy, Ari. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's that's quite a possible scenario, and some of our members do expect that to be an option um, or even a preference, and they can put that in their preferences. Um, it, what I'm talking about is the more conservative. It might seem odd, right, right. but it's the more conservative approach to come back in your original body, you know, build out your original DNA uh, with your original brain. Um, but certainly, depending on your philosophical views, uh, some people would not regard an uploaded version of themselves as themselves, but just a copy. Uh, I personally don't agree with that. I actually think it would be you. You'd survive simply in a, in a, on a new substrate uh, so long as it, it did actually preserve the continuity of psychology. But not everybody feels comfortable with that. So, you know, we stick to the, the most conservative scenario for revival. But that is a possibility, yes. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's just... It, it, it gets into such interesting, like philosophical arguments about who we, who, like what really makes us us. But now uh, on the business side of this, I'm also curious, you know, you're, you're planning a business that's, that sort of has to be around for centuries, essentially. So, I mean, what is, what does that look like when you're planning, when you're planning a business? Yeah, well, we don't know how long it's going to be. So um, it could be just, you know, it might be, might be several decades, but we have to assume it's going to be a century or longer. Right. And if you look at how many organizations have survived that long, it's not, well, when you talk about for-profit companies, it's very, very few. There are a few. There was a 1,400-year-old Japanese company uh, did some research on this. Congo uh, Gumi. Say, sorry? It was, it's called Congo Gumi. <laughs> uh, I think that's right, yeah. it was uh, The construction company. Built. They built temples, yeah, yeah. Built temples for most of its existence. And then they actually switched during World War II to building coffins because there's more business. <laughs> um, but if you look at nonprofit organizations, and Alcor is a 501c3 tax exempt nonprofit organization, we're already 43 years old. And those have a much better record because you don't have to worry about chasing shareholder returns in the next quarter. Um, you can really think about the long term. And our board of directors does that, and I do that. And we're constantly thinking about risks that you won't really likely to face within any one year or even five years or even 10 years. But given enough time, some things are going to go wrong. And so we're always thinking about what we can do. How do we protect our finances? How do we protect ourselves against government regulation or against being sued? Um, One thing we don't have to worry about, and I should mention this because people always misunderstand this, we don't have to worry about the power going out. Uh, We just use liquid nitrogen refills every week to keep the temperature at at minus 196 degrees C, minus 320 Fahrenheit, no power is actually needed. Now, we do need power for the surgery and the perfusion process, and we have a big backup generator for that purpose. Um, But we we took all kinds of measures. For instance, we put a big chunk of the money that comes out of usually life insurance. Most people pay pay for this with life insurance, so it's quite affordable. And we put a big chunk of that aside into a separate fund called the Patient Care Trust Fund, which has its own board of trustees that manage the money. And two-thirds of those trustees have to have relatives who have been cryopreserved. So it's not just a matter of fiduciary responsibility. It's a very personal matter for them to take care of that money for the long term. And the, the goal is actually never to draw down the principal, and we never have so far. Yeah, and and, and again, it's, it's it's a very very different proposition that you're talking about when you have to when you have to plan for the you know because especially since nowadays we have startups that are they start up and they're trying to get bought in like the first three years. You know, this is this <laughs> yeah. is a, this is a very interesting play when you're talking about longevity. So. 
Uh, okay. Well, so the, the the last question that I always like to ask on these interviews is, and and this has not been really a productivity focused one, but to me this is just such an interesting topic. I, I'm curious to hear your answer to this. The top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective, and you can interpret that however you like. Oh gosh. Okay. Top three most effective. Um, well, they're going to be boring. The first two can be pretty boring, but I think they are critical. Uh, good diet. I think is absolutely critical to your health and your functioning, to your mental well-being, uh, especially as you get older. It's kind of easy to toss that off when you're 20 years old, but you know, <laughs> as you get older, that, that matters more and more. And to me, a good diet essentially means uh, sort of a paleoish approach, basically trying to eat unprocessed foods, uh, lots of vegetables, um, a reasonable amount of, of healthy, healthy meat, uh, not processed meat. Um, the second core really is exercise, something I've kind of neglected the last few months and just getting back into myself. But I think regular exercise, not chronic exercise where you're running marathons all the time. I don't think that's very good. That's producing a lot of inflammation. Uh, I like to do interval training for cardio and one hour um, weight workouts. And I think that's plenty. You just do that you know, four or five times a week. So those are the first two things. Beyond that, gosh, I guess... I guess what, what you could probably <laughs> be very helpful with, which is reducing stress. I'm, that's something I'm not so good at. Um, it's such a crazy busy job in life that, um, you know, producing cortisol and all these cytokines and inflammation is not really good for lifespan and health. So learning how to relax, um, learning how to really enjoy the moment and not just worry about the past or the future and learning how to simplify your life. So uh, that's why I really need to study what you've been doing, Ari, because I need to focus more on that third critical plank. Well, thank you. Thank you, Max. No, those are those are definitely helpful. And they're not. Uh, we, I mean, we've heard a couple of those or two of those before from other people, but that's good. It's good to hear those from from more people to reinforce it and also from people who have somewhat different perspective on it. So if people want to find out more and uh, maybe become members, where where should they go? They should just go to www.alcor.org, A-L-C-O-R. That's the name of a star. And uh, really, there's a huge amount of information. There's a section under membership. A very easy way just to get in touch is to become an associate member. It's just $5 a month. You get a, a magazine and discounts and so on. And it kind of keeps you in touch while you figure out whether this is something you want to do or not. It usually takes people, well, some people just look at it and right away decide that makes sense. Others, it takes them several years before they you know, really feel like they want to do this. Okay. Well, Max, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ari. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell, and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.